Well, good morning. Let me encourage you with this verse. Glenn already read it, but let me, recur- let me reread it to you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Let that, that be an encouragement. You know why? Because the temptations that you're facing is what everyone else is facing. It's not like, uh, this is how I used to live. Um, I'm one of those recovering legalists that used to have God all figured out. And if you didn't agree with me, you're probably wrong and going to hell. And if you didn't have a quiet time every day, you probably didn't really love Jesus. And if you didn't pray long enough and constantly be talking, you probably didn't really mean anything. I was kind of one of those. And so then God brought me out of that by introducing me to grace. And here's what I thought. If I was tempted, then I'm not really following Jesus. And yet what I look here, and as we look in this passage in Genesis 39, what I'm realizing, the fact that you are tempted, the fact that I am tempted is proof that God is in us. See, without God, I wouldn't know that I'm being tempted. I would just do anything and everything that I wanted to do. And then Jesus, I surrender my life to him. The Holy Spirit, who is God, comes into me. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit begins to what? Convict, encourage, comfort, lead, guide. And so if you've ever been tempted before you got here to church, or right when you woke up, or when that person cut you off, you ever notice how frustrated you get with people? when they cut you off, but how necessary it is when you need to cut them off. Is anyone with me on this? I got cut off this morning and I'm thinking, are you kidding me? And I thought, wait, I just did that to somebody yesterday, but it was necessary. I had to get over, this was your choice. You didn't have to, you little brat. Guys, when we are tempted, it is what is common to man. Now watch this, here's three words. God is faithful. He's not expecting us to face temptation by ourselves. Again, this is how I lived. Okay, if I've loved Jesus this long and I've been walking with him this much, then I should not be facing temptation as much. See, sin shouldn't be bothering me as much because I'm much more mature in Christ and what I'm realizing, what I'm noticing, is I'm much more aware of my sin now than I used to be. When I first started with Jesus, Oh, it was okay. I mean, I was like, I felt bad. But now, oh man, any little thing is like, I'm so sorry, God. I'm so sorry. It's just this constant reminder of how much I am in need of the grace of God. So in this temptation, when, when, not if, when the temptation hits, the first thing we have to go to are three words. God is faithful. He's faithful to help us overcome it. He's faithful to us when we don't. He's faithful. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will. Whenever you see the word will, that is God's promise, and every promise in Christ is yes. It's ours. He will what? He will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Not only is God faithful, then when the temptation hits, he's there. But in the midst of that temptation, he says, come on, come this way. I'll get you out. Every single time the temptation comes, God says, I provide a way out. But honestly, isn't the temptation just kind of good? Like, aren't you tempted to do something pretty fun? At least in the moment. At least in the moment. You got to at least admit it that in the moment, you're like, I'm being tempted. This is so good. I see two boxes of donuts. And I'm tempted to eat both for lunch. 
put peanut butter on them so I can say I had protein. That's the temptation. Oh, I got to have it. Guys, we're tempted by what's fun. And so can we at least, just Christians, can we just be raw and honest? We are, we're in process, but we are all tempted. See, for those that have low self-esteem, you're tempted to think of yourself less than what God thinks of you. For those that have great self-esteem, you're tempted to think of yourself better than God thinks of you. I mean, I mean, we could bring up all these situations. It could be something that we think is really small or something that's really huge, and yet we're all tempted. We're all just, let's just get to that point. Being tempted does not show a lack of God in your life. It doesn't mean that there's not commitment to Jesus. It just means welcome to the battle. Welcome to life. We gotta accept it. But we are not powerless. By ourselves, we will fail. But God is faithful. If you've been in the church any amount of time, you've heard of, uh, you've heard of Joseph, in, Joseph in Genesis. And Joseph, he's got a pretty cush life in the beginning. I mean, think about it. When he's 17, he's dad's favorite, and dad makes it known. Dad even gave him this coat. Remember the, the coat of many colors? I think they turned it into some kind of musical. The coat of many colors. This is just for you, Joseph. So Joseph, every time, think about it, every time he's wearing it around all of his Big old bunch of brothers. It's like, hey, look what dad gave. Oh, you don't got one? Your, your coat's just brown? Not this one. Woo! 17-year-old 17, 17 walks up to his 11 brothers and says, hey, I had this dream last night. Now, as they see him coming, they can't stand him. They hate him. Every single one of them hate him. Reuben's got a little heart for him. The rest, not too fond of him. All of a sudden, he comes, I had this dream. Let me tell you about it. Tells this weird dream of things bowing down. And he goes, this is what's going to, like, you're going to bow down to me. I mean, what 17-year-old cannot catch the concept? Your brothers hate your guts. And then your job in that moment as a 17-year-old is to walk out and to flaunt. One, look at the colors on my coat. You got tan. I got colors. And then to walk up and say, you all are going to worship me one day. You're going to bow down to me. It's going to be great. Joseph, does, does, he does not seem like the sharpest tack in the box in this moment. 17-year-olds. Sometimes, remember when you're 17, or unless you are 17 now? I kind of say things that you wish you could take back. See, he said it not once. He had two different dreams. He also tells it to his dad and the brothers. And dad's like, are you really, are you really thinking that all of us are going to bow down to you? Are you serious? It's like, Joseph, I'm about ready to take that coat back. Because you're stupid. Like, this is not right. You cannot go there with this. So we jump into Genesis chapter 39. I mean, a bunch has happened from 37 to 39. But this is where we start. And as I go into it, it's kind of like, like, think about this. He goes, from the, he goes from the dreams to all of a sudden his dad sends him out. Check on your brothers. Make sure they're working, which is weird. How come Joseph didn't have to go and work with his brothers? Joseph's at home chilling out with, with dad. All his brothers are checking out and they're working with the sheep. And then dad said, hey, go check on them. So here comes 17-year-old flaunting, flaunting his robe. Brothers see him and you know that you're hated. Just so you know, if you ever hear one of your siblings go, guys, let's kill him. Realize in that moment, you are hated. Take measures that are appropriate. So he comes walking up. They come up with a plan that's killing. Judah comes up and says, guys, let's not kill him. Look, look who's coming. Let's make some money off of him. At first it's like, oh, he's showing mercy. No, he's like, hey, guys, let's just sell him into slavery. We could take money. We could buy our own coats. It'd be great. 
What would you think? All of a sudden you show up, hey, dad wants me to check on you. And all of a sudden your brothers like jack you up, throw you in a pit and wait for these people to show up and then sell you. At what point as you look back and they're holding their, your coat and waving, at what point do you think, they, I don't think they like me. <laughs> if anyone had any right to say, you know what, this whole God thing, not worth it. There's any person that felt like they had some kind of entitlement to give in to temptation. Don't you think it's Joseph? 17-year-old sold into slavery because his brothers hated him. He's now off and he lives with Potiphar and this is where we pick up in verse one of chapter 39. And as we go through it, if you know me, I don't usually do a whole chapter, but these are the principles. These are the things that popped out to me. How do we fight temptation? I don't come to you preaching as one who has has overcome all temptation. That I've got this figured out and I make every decision perfectly. If there are two boxes of donuts, my first thought is, it's just one. And then I see my coach's face in my mind and I say, socks. Get out of my face, Tracy. It's not fun. It's not fair. Guys, I had the temptation. What is your temptation? What is it? Because Glenn asked you, what is your one temptation? That one thing that gets you every time. And I still fight mine. And I fail, and then I go after it again, and I fail, and I go after it again, but I feel like I'm growing. Do you feel like there's some growth in your life? Here's the principles. Write these down if you want to. Believe it or not, I actually have points. Ready? Number one. Be most watchful when everything is going quote-unquote well. Be most watchful when everything is going well. Chapter 39, verse one, now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had, brought, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph, underline that. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. The fact that there are trials in our life, the fact that there are difficulties in our life is not proof that God is not there. Understand that. There are times where we make decisions that are so stupid. But there are also times where we did nothing. The trial is not proof that God is not there. The truth, you always hold to what's true. Last week I spoke at this camp and this young kid came up and we were talking about Jesus and he goes, well, I tend to believe that God is love. I was like, I believe you. I do too. He says, well, what about this fear thing? I said, well, go back to what scripture says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That, the, that this, this love of God that is high, high as the heavens are above the earth, so is God's love toward those who fear him. And I'm going through all of these passages in scripture, this holy reverence, this I'm in awe of God, that when God reveals himself to me in a new way that blows my mind, that I'm actually fearful of him until he invites me back in and says, don't be afraid. Even though I brought a passage after passage after passage, he goes, yeah, but I just choose not to do that. I say, friend, as long as you keep living like that, you will be making decisions that go against what God has clearly said. This is what he says. It always goes back to what what does scripture say? And so when people come out and say, hey, if you're going through difficult times, it's because there must be sin in your life. That's bad theology. Isn't it crazy that in this moment, Joseph is in slavery, but here's the key thing. I underlined it twice in my Bible. The first thing that is is said in verse two is what? The Lord was with Joseph. It doesn't doesn't say that the Lord was there. This is so personal. The Lord was with Joseph. And so what would happen if you and I put our name there instead of Joseph? That in the midst of our difficulty, 
in the midst of what we're facing that seems so difficult, what would happen if all of a sudden I could believe the fact that God is with Brian? In the midst when I want to just go off, when I want to make a decision that is so against what God might want because I just want it. Shouldn't it change everything to know that God is with me? And that God is with you, not just here. God is with you. The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Let me encourage those of you that, you know you have a real job, not like a pastor, you have a real job, you have to go do stuff. The best way you can honor Jesus is what? Work well. Work well. Should I wear a Jesus fish on my shirt? No. No. Even Martin Luther says, you know what the best thing a Christian can do? Paraphrasing. If you're a shoemaker, don't worry about putting Bible verse on the shoe. Just make the shoe so well that people want it so badly. Just do your job well. Why? Because, guys, employers should want Christians more than anybody else on the planet to work for them. Because we believe that we're working for someone who is higher than any job that we have. We believe in a work ethic that is godly. And we thank God for the opportunity to work. We try to do it cheerfully. We do it honestly. Not cutting corners. Not putting numbers in this column so it looks like we made a little bit more. So maybe, the, maybe we get a little bit extra bonus. But we're actually people of integrity. Isn't it crazy that he is in, he's in slavery and yet his boss, his owner, sees that God is with them. May we live lives, friends. May we live lives that people on the outside can see God in us, even if we don't say anything about Jesus. Joseph wasn't preaching about God. He wasn't singing songs. He didn't have the exus on his shirt. He just was successful. You say, well, that's because God was, God was with him. But here's the thing. God may be with you, but if you're a lazy turd when you work, People aren't sitting there going, I got to have that guy. I mean, they work. Their work sucks. But God's with them. So I'm guessing this. God's with them. And why? Why is he successful? God's with them, yes. And two, he's competent. He does his work well. So for those of you that were like me in high school, it's like a yearbook slogan, Christianity. Let go, let God. Let go, let God. That might be the worst theology in the world. Are you going to work? No, I'm not going to work today. Let go, let God. You're going to strive for excellence? I don't have to. The victory's already won. Let go, let God. Isn't it amazing that a quote-unquote non-believer of God or someone who worshipped other gods saw how successful Joseph was, and this is what they thought. He thought this. The Lord is with him. Friends, that's how we should live. We should live like that. That people are blown away with the presence of God and our work ethic that we do everything well. Goes on. So Joseph, verse four. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that the Lord blessed the Egyptians house for Joseph's sake. Did you catch that? For Joseph's sake, the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now, this is a bad situation, but it sounds like it's getting okay. 
Sounds like it's getting pretty good, and then this happens. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. I can so relate. I don't even know why you would laugh at that. You trying to hurt me? What the heck? I'll call my wife later. She'll tell me. Now, Brian is handsome in form. She has it written down her. That's her license plate frame. Verse 7. Watch this. First four words. Everything's great. Working great. Things are going well and you're hot. This is pretty good. This is scripture. Watch what happens. And after a time. And after a time. That phrase popped out of me. When everything's going well. After a time. How many decisions were made. When we let our guard down. Rather than paying attention during that time. When everything's going great, we start going in cruise control. When everything's going great, you ever notice when things are great, you don't really need God. You got it. You can handle it. Everything's automatic. So we start going in cruise control. We go automatic. Here's the thing. Here's the problem with automatic. At some point, at a certain time, things will crash. And some of those things will crash because we made really bad decisions at that specific time. Friends, the thing we should often do is thank God for the times that draw us back to realizing that he is a necessity, not an option. He's a necessity, not an option. How many of your bad decisions, how many of my bad decisions have come because we haven't stayed alert alert after a time? How many of the choices that we've made that are just, ah, that wasn't wise? I just read this book. Here's how a lot of times we base decisions. We say this, what I'm facing, is it wrong? And a lot of these decisions that we make has nothing to do with right or wrong. It's just kind of good, better, or best. And what I've learned from this book, it, it rocked my world. It's not, I shouldn't be asking the question, hey, is this thing I'm about to do wrong? Does what does scripture say? Does it, is it wrong? No. What I should ask, is this the right thing? Is this a wise thing for me to do? Thinking of where I've been, where God has me, and the things he has planned for me in the future, is this decision the wise thing to do? To fulfill God's purpose for my life. Is it the wise thing to do? Is it wise? Because how many of our regrets came during the comfortable part of life when we didn't need God's opinion? So the first one. Be most most watchful when everything is going well. Number two. Refuse to give in to temptation. Refuse to give in to temptation. You say, oh, it's not that easy. I don't really know another option. Do you? Brian, it's not that easy. I'm, I'm with you. I get that. But when you hear something like this, it seems so simple. This is the simple advice that we could give. Refuse. Refuse to give into temptation. You don't understand. It's hard. What's the other option? Um, I don't know, but I don't like that one. We refuse. We make The decision, look at verse eight. We'll keep going through verse seven. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. She's pretty forward. Lie with me. And if you're sitting there going, I don't understand. Talk to your parents about that. (laughs) But he what? He refused. He refused and said to his master's wife. So Potiphar buys him, puts him in charge of everything. Potiphar's wife, Potiphar, maybe. 
Potiphar's noticing him. Why? Because he's fine. I mean, he's handsome in form and feature. Everything he does is successful. I doubt this is the first time that that she made a move on one of her slaves. Just walks up. Lie with me. Joseph, in that moment, could have said, because I have no clue how long it's been after he'd been sold. It doesn't say. But say he's 17, 18, and he's offered this. I got to give him props. 17 and 18-year-old kids said, what? No. No. Friends, our teenagers can, they're getting bombarded, aren't they? Teenagers, you feel like you're bombarded with stuff? Like this and this. The temptations come from all over the place. But teenagers, can I encourage you and also just kind of, uh, let me just say it this way. You have the ability to follow Jesus and to refuse temptation just like the rest of us do. Why? Because God is with I look at this, he refused, but he refused and said to his master's wife, and this leads to number three, falling into temptation is sinning against God. Catch that. I know we like to sugarcoat it. Ah, we made a mistake. It is, it's a mistake. But in the moment when we fall, in the moment when we decide to give in to that temptation, We are telling God, I want this more than you in the eyes of God. It is sin. Sin. And it's not a popular word today, right? Because really it's just based upon preference. It's sin against God. We keep going. Verse 8. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of my master, he has no concern about anything in the house. And he's put everything that he has in in my charge. He is no greater in this house than I am. Nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? See, he looks to what Potiphar has done, giving him responsibility, freedom in the home, authority. But when it comes down to it, he says... Potiphar's given me everything except for you because you're his wife. And so how can I? Potiphar's no longer part of the equation. How can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? I look at this kid and I go, you got some, you got some stuff in you. I wrote these in my notes. I said, may we strive to live our lives for the applause of heaven instead of the accolades of others. The end of my life, to not be looking behind me. How many people noticed what I did? But to only look to the one that I, that I tried to live like and with and by and just to look at him and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. You did it. The applause of heaven is so much more deafening than the applause of people. May we strive to live lives set apart for a holy God who is deserving of everything that we can offer. That when I look at that temptation to actually have it in my mind, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against my God? How could I do such a wicked thing and sin, and sin against my God who paid for that, who was 
bruised for that and broken for that and bloodied for that and tortured for that, experienced the wrath of God for that. How could I look at that thing and say, yes, I'm going to take it and sin against my God? Guys, that's so much more than just personal. It's not just this choice that we make. It'll affect us and might affect other people. Yeah, our sin affects people, but it always, always, always offends God. Number four, temptation will try to wear you down. Temptation will try to wear you down. Look at verse 10. And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, there, underline that, day after day, she can't take a hint. I mean, how stupid are you? Hey, come lie with me. No. What did you mean by that? Thank you. And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. That's the first, number four. Temptation will try to wear you down day after day after day. It will continue to come after you. Feel like, I got victory here. And then he comes again. Got victory here. Why? Because we have these desires in us. We have this flesh. We have these appetites. For some of, it, for some of us, it's something that we, we don't, I want to eat that, but I can't. Because I want to be good with what it is that God's given me. For some of you, it's something on a screen. Whether it's something that you control with a mouse or something that you control with a remote. For others of you, it's gossip. Doesn't it just taste good when you hear someone say, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? Um, no. Let me tell you. Let's pray about it. Let me tell you all about it, and then we'll pray. Because if you pray about it, then it's all holy and righteous. We're all tempted by something, right? And it'll come after and come after and come after. And here's the thing. Guys, don't get discouraged by the fact that there's temptation. And if you fall, get up. There's forgiveness. That's the joy of it. We don't take it for granted. Because we don't want to offend God. And we don't want to do the things that God paid for us. But we have to keep pushing. We have to keep going because it's going to come day after day after day until we have fought so hard that that is no longer a weakness for us. Guitar players, anybody play guitar? Jared, pretend there, Jared does. Good. A couple of you. If you ever start playing guitar, the very first few days, it's like your fingers, it's like you're just cutting them off. Like, it's like, put this cord, every time it's like, I feel like my, I feel like they're just opening up and my blood is on my guitar. That's when you know you're a real guitar player. So I'm, I'm going for it. But then like a few days later, all of a sudden it doesn't hurt so bad. Why? Because you get these calluses on the end of your fingers. And you just get used to it. Now you're just flying all over the place. And for some of us, it's kind of like you're getting, you're getting pricked by this temptation constantly. It just keeps coming. It just keeps coming. All of a sudden, because it's been hidden so much and you've been withstanding it for so long, the callus forms over you and the enemy or your flesh has to try to find the new weakness. I promise. Why? Because God is faithful. Isn't that what we saw in 1 Corinthians 10? How do I know that God will provide a way out? Because he's faithful. He cannot help but provide a way out. But understand, it will come day after day after day after day, which leads to number five. Don't even entertain the temptation. Don't even entertain it. 
We look at verse 10 again. Day after day, she spoke to him. He would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. He wouldn't listen to her. Wouldn't listen to her. Wouldn't listen to her. Kept, I'm not listening. <laughs> I'm not listening. Just go do my work. Leave me alone. Out of her. I'm not listening. It's like he wouldn't even entertain the thought. When you find yourself beginning to entertain the thought, that is when you should realize that you are in very big trouble. So I go, I'm not going to do anything. Adam and Eve weren't going to eat a piece of fruit either. Until all of a sudden, Eve was able to justify. Well, it looks good. It's good for food. It'll make me wise. Even though God said, don't. But if I do this, it's good for me. I'll feel loved. I'll feel like I know more. But God says, don't do it. It's sin, period. Our three justifications do not negate the one commandment of God. Our 40 justifications do not negate the command of God. It is always God's command that supersedes anything that we can come up with. He did not entertain the thought. You compare that to David in 2 Samuel and all of a sudden he's walking around on the roof when all the kings are supposed to be off fighting wars. Here's David at home, doesn't have to fight. Why? Because everyone's fighting his battles for him. He's just walking around. All of a sudden he looks across the way and Bathsheba's taking a bath. Well, that's fitting because that's her name. So Bathsheba's taking a bath and all of a sudden he looks looks again, is intrigued by it, then begins to ask questions about her. And, her serv- and his servants even go, isn't this, isn't this your rise wife? You know, one of your bodyguards, one of your 30 mighty men, isn't this one that he protects your life? He's all about, um, we're just trying to give you a hint. Isn't this his wife? As if this is God's way out. He says, get her. And he ignored And you watch the rest of David's life, a soap opera tragedy. Why? He entertained the thought. Entertain the thought will lead to justifying the thought. Number six, temptation seems to hit hardest at the most inopportune times. Look at verse 11. But one day when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were in the house. He's doing his work. He's all by himself in the house. She caught him. Oh, Fred. He's just doing his work. He's minding his own business. Guys, when we're doing our work, we're just doing our daily stuff. We need to be asking God, God, keep me alert to the temptations that are going after my soul. He's just doing his work. He catch this. He's also by himself. He's also by himself. And I'm convinced of this. Temptation will hit us hardest. When we are most vulnerable, when we are tired, when we're weak, and when we're alone. That's why God put us in community. When we're tired, when we're weak, when we're alone. If I stay up too late watching some show, it's amazing how much. The refrigerator calls to me after 10. Just opening up, you know you want some Honey Nut Cheerios. You want it cabinets are like, come on! This is party time! Wife's in bed! And I said, there, I'll just have some water. But I gotta get up to get the water, and if I'm there, I might as well get a bowl. It's not a big bowl, it's a little bowl. 30 bowls later! Not crud. 
Friends, we need to surround ourselves with other followers of Jesus that we give the right to speak boldly into our lives and to confront us in our temptations and our sins. Not to become defensive, not to fight, but when they come up and they can show scripturally, hey, what you're about to do is not right. To humbly respect and receive what it is that they're saying to us. If, you are those, if you're one of those lone again Christians, just lone ranger by yourself, constantly, all the time, and you don't have one or two people or more, however many you want to have, but at least have one or two, there's these people that are with you, that they're walking through life where they can speak anything that they want to into your life. If you are just this, I got it. Me and Jesus are good. It's weird that I, I, I believe that. I mean, Jesus is everything, but love God and love others is the greatest commandment. I can't do it alone. So I have my friends and I have my family that push me and spur me on to the things that are of God. Not give me more reasons of why I deserve that. Number seven. When temptation hits, run. Run. She caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. Guys, I have no clue if he had more than one garment on. I don't know if this was just the coat, and all of a sudden he's got, well, he's got the jeans on. Or if he's just running butt naked out of there. All I know, he didn't say, oh, can I have that back? Can I? Uh, no, he just took off. He ran. Why? Because if I fall into this, I'm sinning against God. And if I fall into this, this will impact this, this, and them, and this, and this. Years and years and years ago, I heard this, I heard this statistic, and it shocked me and scared me to my core. One in ten pastors finish well. I can't picture pastors going into the ministry going, I can't wait to fall. I would, I walk every day, every week, always watching and terrified. You're like, don't be terrified. You have faith. I'm, I'd rather be terrified and alert than numb and stupid. to set up standards and guidelines and I don't go here with them and, or this person by themselves or when I'm counseling, the door's cracked and I won't meet with somebody if there's not another person that's waiting outside of the office. It's just, I want to make sure that at the end of my life I can, I can just present to Jesus, this is the ministry you gave. This is the wife you entrusted to me. These are the kids that you gave me and I will fight with everything that I have to make sure that I present them. That's this, you gave them to me, I give them back to you. Something comes on the screen in a movie, my head goes to the side and stares at my wife. If it's some naked scene, I'm picturing her naked. Because she's my wife. And I'm just looking at her the whole time. She's like, you're doing great. And what's it say to her? I will fight for you. For those that say, it's just artistic expression. You're justifying it because of your horniness. You fight for your spouse. Gentlemen, we fight for our wives. 
You run. I struggle with things on the computer. Throw the computer out. Have your wife or your friend take the power cord where you can't use it. I got my smartphone. Get a dumb phone. Get the thing called a flip phone. Those work. Run. Run. Well, it didn't turn out great for him. He ran. And she told everybody that he tried to rape her. Potiphar comes back. Potiphar starts telling him the story. He gets so ticked off, throws Joseph in prison, even though he's innocent. Doesn't even save. He got his garment back. It's a weird way to enter prison. He's put in prison for doing what's right. But when you look, verse 21. Joseph's in prison, but the Lord was with Joseph. In the end, you could have the temptation. Or you could withstand the temptation. And things might not turn out right. But isn't it fantastic to know that the Lord is with And then what happens? Just like he was in charge of all of Potiphar's house, he's now in charge of the whole prison. Why? Because everything he touched was successful. Everything he touched turned into gold. There was something about his work ethic. There was something about his integrity. The worship team will come back up. Let me encourage you. But what about if we do sin? What if we do? This isn't one of those messages that they just slam and, guys, fight temptation or else. What if we did? What if you have What if it's happened? Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know when Paul said that? Right after. The second half of chapter 7 where Paul's like, the things I don't want to do, those things that offend my God, I find myself still doing those things. And I don't want to. The thing that I want to do where I'm honoring God, I don't do that. He says, who's going to save me from this body of death? He says, praise be to God. There is therefore, because I have been rescued, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And some say, so is that my out? Guys, there's no loophole. There is no out. There's no cheap grace in this. For those who are saying, I've, I've declared Jesus as my Lord and Savior, but does this mean I can now do whatever I want? Friends, if that's your mentality, if you're saying, I prayed a prayer, but can I still do whatever I want? I think that is evidence that Jesus was not surrendered to, and you are not in right relationship with God. If your whole heart is to look at a bloodied Jesus and say, thank you very much, so I can do whatever I want. It's not Jesus you surrendered to. But for those of you who have, and you look and go, I can't believe I did that. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Before you did it, it was paid for. Before you did it, you were forgiven. God knows that we will sin more than we think we will. Psalm 103, this is, we'll close, verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abiding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. 
Let this sink in. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, let it sink in, friends. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. It's his act. He removes the sin from us as far as the east is from the west. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. How can he do this? Because on a cross, he punished his son on our behalf. On a cross, Jesus became the propitiation. He became the new target of the full and complete wrath of God. Sin was punished. Three days later, Jesus came back from the dead showing victory over death. So sin and death has been dealt with. And forgiveness is offered. So if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God, as I was explaining this to a person on the phone yesterday, all her, her only response was this, it's too good to be true. It's too good to be true. And I said, that's the gospel. It's too good to be true. I can't be forgiven of this. And let me, let me tell you, if you've surrendered to Jesus, you already are. It is absolutely amazing. Friends, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. But when we are tempted, he will provide a way out. God is faithful. And God is with us. So I'm doing something we don't usually do. I don't usually do it here. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you want to surrender and, ha- and receive his forgiveness, you declare him as Lord of your life. You believe he died on a cross, came back from the dead, and you call out to him to save you. You can do that right there in your seat. You do not have to do this next part. But if today you said, I did that, I give my life to Christ with every head up and every eye open, if you would do us the honor and stand so that we know that today you surrendered to Jesus just so that we can celebrate with you. If that's you, will you stand up? You've never done it before. But if today you say, I surrender to Jesus, I want to be forgiven, stand up. Okay, then second. If you're tired of regret and you say, God, I want to be free. You've accepted, you've accepted forgiveness for the purpose of salvation, but you haven't accepted forgiveness for the purpose of freedom. If today you say, God, I'm tired of the regret. Thank you for your forgiveness. And now I want to move on with you. Then let's stand up. That's you. God, thank you for your forgiveness. And I receive it. This isn't salvation. This is thank you. I want to live past it. I want to get past it. Anybody?
as far as the east is from the west, so God has removed our transgressions from us. And what has happened today, God, to you be all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor, for you alone are worthy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who is thankful for forgiveness says, amen. Love you more than you know.